Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Angie Kim is the author of Happiness Falls. Angie moved as a preteen from Seoul, South Korea to the suburbs of Baltimore. After graduating from Interlochen Arts Academy, she studied philosophy at Stanford University and attended Harvard Law School, where she was an editor of the Harvard Law Review. Her debut novel, Miracle Creek, won the Edgar Award, the ITW Thriller Award, the Strand Critics Award, and the Pinkley Prize, and was named one of the best books of the year by Time, The Washington Post, Kirkus, and The Today Show. One of Variety Magazine's inaugural 10 storytellers to watch, Angie has written for the New York Times Book Review, The Washington Post, Vogue, Glamour, and numerous literary journals. She lives in Northern Virginia with her family. Happiness Falls is her second novel. 
Welcome, Angie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Happiness Falls, your novel, the huge sensation this fall, <laughs> picked for like everything imaginable. You must be freaking out. Oh my oh, God. Thank you so much for having me, Zibby. And I can't thank you enough for all of the support that you have shown this book. I'm so grateful and I'm so excited to be going to Zibby's in just like a month, month, something like that. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. I saw your books are already there in our upcoming event section at the bookstore. And I was like, yay. yay. <laughs> I won't be there myself, but thrilled that you'll be there. And I know all the Santa Monica people will be thrilled as well. So I can't wait. Wonderful. I have to say, Lee Haver, who is consulting with us on a bunch of things, like a couple months ago was like, Sydney, I really think you're going to like this book, Happiness Falls. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I bet I will. And she kept being like, have you read it yet? Have you read it? What do you think? Have you read it yet? And I was like, I just haven't gotten to it. I'm going to get to it. And then I started it and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That's amazing. Thank you. First of all, how do you feel about all this publicity and selection and all that? And second, I want you to just tell listeners about your book and we'll talk about the book and stuff. But just first, like, how are you doing with everything? You know, so yesterday was actually my four week, like four weeks into the publication journey. And I was actually remembering that yesterday was actually my original pub day. Oh my gosh. And then before the GMA selection, which moved it up to September 5, and then the BNN club selection, which moved it further <laughs> by a week. And I was just remembering all of that sort of stuff and just thinking, you know, I have a lot of stuff in the book about happiness and about your baseline and setting your expectations and I was just remembering back to sort of my original baseline as a writer, which really is, you know, when you start a story and you have no idea if you're going to be able to finish it, let alone get an agent, have an editor and sell the book and have it come out in the world and be a real book, you know, that's being read and talked by people. And so just really remembering back to that baseline for me and just sort of thinking how much that original baseline writer me would have killed for all the stuff that's happening now and just getting really teary-eyed about it. So it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. First, tell listeners who have not read Happiness Falls yet what it's about. Yes, Please. absolutely. So Happiness Falls is a story about a family in crisis. It opens when the father of this biracial Korean-American family goes missing. And the only person who might know what happened to him is 14-year-old Eugene, the baby of the family, who cannot speak because he has a rare genetic condition called Angelman syndrome, along with a dual diagnosis of autism. And so the family has to really come together and truly try to connect and communicate with each other, especially Eugene, not only to find the father, but also to protect Eugene from the police and their suspicions. So that is in in a nutshell. And I, you know, there is a missing person mystery at the core, but I sort of like to think of it as almost a Trojan horse, a way in to pull the readers in and get them turning the pages. And while you, you're there, we're discussing things like disability justice and racism and what it's like to be biracial in this society today and language and linguistics and philosophy and all sorts of things. Yeah, you really packed it all in. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well done. 
Amazing. There are so many different parts of the story that I found fascinating, but one part that emotionally felt so sort of resonated with me was when the police or Child Protective Services, whoever came first, when they were there and wanted to take Eugene away from his mom and the mom was going to do whatever she could, like that fierce mama bear instinct came out to protect him and just to be like, you don't understand him. You can't treat him this way. Like I, my heart was like outside of my chest in that scene and how the lengths parents will go to protect their kids, to make sure they're okay, to set them, set them up for success and the fear that what if we actually can't protect them? Yeah, absolutely. And that is such a hard thing, I think, as parents to do. It was a hard thing for me to do as the writer who's writing these characters. Um, I actually fought it for a really long time. Um, I, you know, I write organically. I don't write with an outline. And so I was kind of like, when that happened and the police were being really harsh with Eugene and they are, you know, they put handcuffs on him yeah, and it horrible. is a really, really horrible moment. And I was writing it and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't understand why this is happening. And it, it was it was one of these things. And it, it does bring out the instincts and not only for the mother, but also for the siblings nearby who are who are watching. And, you know, that story is narrated by 20 year old Mia, who likes to think she's cool, who <laughs> likes to think she knows everything, who likes to think she's a cynic and doesn't really have, you know, those, you know, pesky little things called emotions (laughs) getting in her way. And yet, you know, in that moment, she freaks out. The whole family is freaking out. And because they just, they have this need to fiercely, like, protect him. And I think that really comes out. And that was a hard scene for me, too, because I just, I love that family. This family has been with me for so long. Okay. Okay. So take me back now. Where did this family come from? Where did this book come from? And also just describe like your life as your, like, where were you living? Like, just give me some context for like where the book intersected with the regular you. Absolutely. Okay. So I started writing in my forties. Being a writer is actually my fifth career. (laughs) Even look like you're in your forties. I am like, I am shocked that just came out of your mouth. Honestly. No, no, I'm like 50 something. And, um, So, so I started writing then, and one of the first short stories I ever wrote. Wait, wait, back up. What what were the other four careers? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was a litigator first, and then I was, I decided right away that I hated that, except for (laughs) the courtroom part, which is like 5% of your life. So I left in my 20s, and then I became a management consultant, and then I was a dot-com entrepreneur. And then I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time, as soon as my first son was born. And he is now 22. So it was 22 years ago. And then all three of my kids, they're all fine now, but they all had medical issues as babies and as preschoolers, toddlers, and all different ones, like completely different things. And they were all like medical mystery type things that like, you know, we had to go to the hospital and be like, well, does he have Wilson's disease? Or like, does he, why does he have hearing loss? Like all of these, a genetic, like all of these things that were going on. And so I just, out of sheer frustration, I had always been an avid reader, but never had written in my life. I was actually a theater person. So I I did a lot of character work, but, you know, still an improv, but not really not writing. And so I started just writing 
one day, just essays, just about what it's like. And I found so much catharsis in that. And it was amazing. And my husband said, you know, these aren't really your stories you're telling. There are family stories. There are children's stories, too. And there's like issues of medical privacy. He's a lawyer, too. (laughs) And and also, you know, you don't really have their consent because they're so little about their stories being told in this way. And I said, and he said, why not try fiction? And I was like, fiction? I don't know how to write fiction. So I started taking classes and it was like, In going from job to job, career to career, I had been trying to find something that fulfills me on a day-to-day basis, as well as like makes me kind of satisfied on a macro level. And I found that with, you know, writing these, these stories. I started with short stories. I fell in love with the form. And one of the first short stories that I wrote was about this family, written in the voice of Mia, who is the same narrator that we have, except she was 14, so younger at that time. And they were dealing with their youngest brother, their baby brother, and they were living in Seoul. And they really felt responsible for the fact that he was a non-speaker, that he couldn't talk because they did something, a prank gone wrong when the mom was pregnant with Eugene. And so they're actually literally trying to find his voice in the graveyard where this prank gone wrong had happened when she was pregnant with him using this haunted, what they think is a haunted stethoscope. It's a funny story. But anyway, so this day, this family has been with me ever since then. And so then I wrote my debut novel, Miracle Creek, and which really delves into some of the same issues as Happiness Falls, except from the parents' perspective, the extreme parenting sacrifices that we make. And then in writing Happiness Falls, I really came back to this family, which had never left me. And this voice by Mia, which had never left me. And, you know, when my kid, my own kids were going through like college application process and things like that, I would be wondering like, oh, John and Mia, who are twins, I wonder where they're applying to school. Like, I wonder... If, you know, if Mia is writing about that incident in Korea in her college essay, um, like, you know, just thinking about them as if they were real people because they had just sort of stayed with me and they would they stuck with me and they wouldn't let go. And so, yeah, so that's how this story kind of came to be with me hearing about some therapies and then actually seeing these therapies of non-speaking autistic kids who were learning to communicate by um, pointing to letters on a board, word by word, and spelling words out painstakingly. And when that happened, these kids who had been assumed their entire lives to be cognitively deficient were coming up with the most amazing, gorgeous things to say. And then I, I got so moved by that, I started volunteering at a nearby therapy center that does this work and started teaching creative writing to these kids. And I just couldn't let this go. And I just thought, I wonder what's happening with Eugene. I wonder if this family is trying this with Eugene, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's like, (laughs) I mean, that's just wild. Real life. As you were talking, I'm thinking to myself, like, all these characters, not just in your book, but in all these novels that I'm reading and that the characters are so real to the authors and then they get into our heads and it's like, maybe they're real somewhere like because because they come fully formed and then they do things on their own that, you know, all fiction writers like, and then this happened, I couldn't quite believe it. 
Like, where is this all coming from? Who's to say these people don't just exist somewhere? I don't know. I'm just throwing, <laughs> throwing it out Maybe, to you. I love that idea. I feel like that could be an amazing novel, like in and of itself. That could be a great story. Can I steal that from you? That's amazing. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. But you should write that. You should write that. Um, okay. <laughs> Where there are all these like characters, you know, in this world, like, and maybe we as writers, what we're doing is we're actually being allowed, like in this matrix type type world, yes. yeah, we're yeah. being allowed to like connect with and download yep. these stories that are being fed to us. And it's almost like an experiment to see what we do with these stories, you know? That's true. Yeah. I mean, mm. it could be that way. I know I always think it would be what I really wanted to do is do it a novel where characters from different books got together and like interacted like I would like you know Mia to meet I don't know what else am I reading like I just finished well that's a memoir so like that doesn't count but (laughs) you know just like a character in another book I was reading and absolutely there was one point I actually connected two authors and I was like I really think your main characters would be friends they should go to lunch and they were like okay I know. No, I feel like I'm like that's you should true. write that together. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, writing together, I don't think we I know that's hard. Too I know well that's hard. on that. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, on that. But I have done that. Like, I have actually um, met authors of books that I love and been like, I really wanted to go to drinks with yes. your main character. And so, since I can't do that, at least I can go grab drinks with you. Can I please buy yeah, you yeah. a drink? Uh, buy you a drink. And then they're like, okay, you're a little weird, but I guess so, <laughs> since you like my character, you know? But then sometimes it's really not the same. It's like my mom would tell me when I was a little girl, I would be like, you should be best friends with so-and-so's mom because she's so amazing. And she's like, I love so-and-so, but that doesn't mean I'll love her mom. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And it's like, just because you love the book doesn't necessarily mean you love the author. It's not, they're not the same people, which obviously, but anyway, I'm sounding ridiculous, but no, 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 not at all. I love this idea. And I have these thought experiments all, all the time about it. I feel like Mia if she were listening in on this conversation, would write a really cool footnote about it, Mm. you know, and then do all this research on all the novels that have like written about characters from different places intersecting and interacting and all that kind of stuff. I feel like she would totally do that. Yeah. Okay. You, you know, you take the idea. I don't want this idea. You, you, you run with <laughs> You're it. Funny. No, you can take it, do a short story, do whatever you want. I'm not going to write this, but you, uh, you can, you do it and then I'll understand more having read yours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're fun. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But I think part of this whole, you know, assuming what's in people's minds, whether you're autistic or you're just really shy and you're not talking, like there are all these assumptions people make when you can't hear, when people can't clearly communicate what they're thinking. And so then you think so differently, all these shortcuts, and it's just a constant shortchanging of people who aren't verbally gifted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it comes from my own experience as a Korean immigrant because I came from Korea to the U.S. when I was in eleven, when I was eleven in middle school, and that's such a hard time to be, you know, getting used to something anyway. And so overnight, I went from feeling like a, you know, pretty smart, kind of sassy, you know, like gregarious kind of girl, outgoing, all that kind of stuff. And then overnight, I couldn't speak English, and so I was kind of shut down. And so there was that frustration with not speaking the language, of course, mm-hmm. but it went beyond that. It went to it. I was embarrassed. It was a deep shame because I felt stupid mm-hmm. and I was treated as stupid. I could tell that people sort of were looking at me in that way. And then once I started speaking English to the point where I could understand, but I still couldn't understand it, it couldn't speak it very well, then I really did get that people were making fun of me and right in front of me. And so it was just such a humiliating, awful experience. And it's something that really affects me even to this day. So, you know, that's why I think it really did a number on me. It was the first time I realized that our society and not just the American society, but like the world over, we equate oral fluency with intelligence. And so when I lost that, I felt stupid. And I just don't understand why we have this assumption. It's in me too. You know, it's in all of us. Like, you know, we see people who stutter, who write beautifully. We know that they're brilliant. You know, uh, people who have aphasia or have some kind of medical condition. And yet, you know, people who are deaf... And for the longest time, like we in our society have had this kind of like ableist assumption that, yeah, like if you can't speak fluently, even if there's a really good reason for it, like you speak another language really (laughs) fluently. And Hannah, the mom here, she's a PhD in linguistics, but she speaks with an accent. So her kids kind of look down on her a little bit, you know, and then they're surprised when she's able to deal with situations in a really competent way. And I think we have that and we carry that around with me, with us. And I don't understand why we do that. So I'd really like to challenge that and challenge all of us to sort of think through those assumptions and not make those shortcuts. So true. I went through a period of time when I was a teenager, when I just like could not talk. Like I just couldn't talk. I was so shy, like in certain situations, in group situations, and people would make fun of me a lot, you know? Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. realize because yeah. you're, so, you're so at the center of like, you know, like social, so many things that I wouldn't have guessed that about you. 
It's true. Yeah. I was actually going through some diaries recently and I was literally writing the summer program. I could not talk. I was like, I cannot talk. People are like, why are you just sitting there? And like, come on, don't you have anything to say? And it's like, I had a million things to say. I just couldn't say them. I was thinking them. Yeah. And and I think this is why also I'm attracted to A, books like yours, but also stories where like the diving bell and the butterfly or things like that, where like you find a way to write and then all of a sudden you can communicate. It's like, mind-blowing. Right? It it's is. Mind-blowing. It's, yeah, it's mind-blowing. And, you know, one of my, one of the most amazing things about this whole experience, this publication month in September, for me has been when GMA came, came down to Virginia, which is where I live with my family. And they did, and Juju Chang was with me the whole day, like with these kids that I teach creative writing to. So she actually, we actually got to speak in that classroom. We got, she got to talk to the kids, like have conversations with them. And when they were pointing to letters, she actually scribed for them. So she was writing down what they, the letter by letter, what they were pointing to. And it was just so meaningful because that's sort of the kind of thing that a fiction writer doesn't usually get the chance to do, you know, really get to not only talk about my book and what inspired it, but really get to show the world in this huge way. And so that was really meaningful to me. I think that was my favorite part of this entire process. That's amazing. So have you become this advocate or are you involved in nonprofits or how are you helping, you know, and I can't imagine you're just like sitting with this. You seem like such a doer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so that is this association that happens to be near me, that happens to be local to me, Mm -hmm. which is such a gift. It's called the International, it's I ask International Association for spelling as communication. Hmm. And that is, yeah, it's a global organization and I'm very involved with it. They were showcased in this, in this piece in GMA. I am, you know, continuing to work with them on telling their stories. I that's what I really want to do. I want to enable the gifted writers that I have come in contact with who are non-speakers to tell their own stories. That would be just so meaningful. Yeah. I feel like you should do an anthology of their stories. I know. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. That would be so, so amazing. Yeah. Oh my that's, God. That's a great idea, Zibby. Yeah. We should talk. We should talk. Look at all these projects I have lined up for you. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I know. My editor's going to be like, you can't talk to Zibby anymore because you have to work on your next book. <laughs> Excellent segue. What is your next book? So my next book, I'm not really completely sure that I have it down to the point where I can really talk about the premise yet because I'm still exploring. But I I am really excited that it's a little more on the dystopian side. Mm. So it's dystopian. It's got little flavors of, you know, uh, sci-fi kind of stuff there. And it's also, I think, going to be in the form of linked stories, which is my favorite form of storytelling. So I'm really excited about that. It's about people who are going through society level change and how they cope with it with the loss of connection. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Yeah. That thank you. Amazing. Thank you. You don't have to tell me, but do you have a working title that you like? I don't actually. Um, it's funny because for this time, for Happiness Falls, my working title was Happiness Quotient. 
about mm-hmm. the whole idea of, you know, your relativity of happiness and happiness being really relative to your expectations and to your baseline and all of that sort of stuff. And then everybody told me, you know, that's not like the most selling title. So we have to think of something else. So I've kind of given up on titles and same thing happened with Miracle Creek. My working title for that was Miracle Submarine, which I thought was a kick-ass title. And they were like, no, people hate it. People are saying that like, it's the worst title they've ever heard in their lives. Who are these these people? Well, you know, they're like people in in the sales and, you know, yeah, retailer world, whatever. And so, so we changed it to the name of the town that it was set in Miracle Creek. And so I actually joke that because of Miracle Creek, happiness falls, the next one is going to be like love ocean or something like that. (laughs) Totally. Love lake. (laughs) A few more syllables though. Yeah, exactly. Amorous, amorous lake or something. Oh, that's putting it in. That's (laughs) taking it in a different direction. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Love it. So having taught yourself fiction at you know, an older age. What advice do you have for aspiring fiction writers who feel like this is a tough, a tough nut to crack? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was just listening not that long ago to Ashley Audrain's podcast with you. And she, and I, I, so I feel, but I feel like she was on several months ago. So I can repeat a similar advice that she gave, which is to really let go and not worry about the fact that you're actually writing something for an audience. So even as I'm in my writing closet here. I actually, it's a literal closet that I write. (laughs) Um, I'm looking over the screen at something that I posted up on the wall, which is, it says in big letters, this is not a novel. And it's Mm -hmm. something that I put up there when I started working on Miracle Creek, because it was my first book. And I had always understood from author friends that like your first book, you finish and then you put away in a drawer and then you like get really started on your real first book. You know, it's a practice book. So I told myself it's a practice book. It's okay. It's not going to see the light of day. I can put anything in it. All the shameful thoughts that I've had that I know my friends have had um, that my characters have had. I can put that in without worry. And it's okay that I'm doing weird things like starting a murder mystery without having any idea who did it or how or why or, you know, and all of that. And I had seven different POV characters, which is very ambitious for a first novel, especially. And I was like, it's okay. All of these things are okay because it's not a novel. And so I really feel like that sign helped me to just take risks and tell the stories that I wanted to tell and just get it out there. And so I had the same sign up and my husband walked in when I was writing Happiness Falls and he was like, "Uh, honey, I hate to tell you this, but that (laughs) sign has to go because it is a novel. It has to be a novel. You have a contract. You've been paid. You have an editor who gave you a deadline and is waiting for it. And so I wrote like a little... Um, handwritten in, this is not a missing person novel. Mm. And I did that as a way to remind myself that I'm writing, I was writing the story from the perspective of Mia in first person. And when I write, because of my theater background, I write in this way called meth- that I call method writing, where I really try to get in the character's head and really inhabit them. And 
you know, like method um, acting. And so I was trying to remind myself that from that, that perspective, it's not a novel that I'm writing. It's not a missing person novel that I'm writing. This is a real thing that Mia is going through. Mm. So things like, you know, are the twists like illuminating or, you know, are there twists to begin with? Like all of these things, those don't matter. That's not what matters is how she's feeling, how the family's feeling, how the mom is feeling. And certainly they also, they want to find out what happened to the father, but actually what's most important, what becomes most important is really protecting Eugene. And so really thinking about the story from that perspective, from the characters and trying to stay true to that instead of worrying about, oh, are people going to get annoyed with this? And, you know, are people going to be satisfied with this plot twist or, you know, lack thereof or whatever? And so really reminding myself of that. And that's the best advice that I can give to people. Don't try to write to what you think think that some imaginary reader out there is going to be or what the market is, but really try to write what you want to write that's true to what the characters in your stories would want. I love that. That is such good advice. I really, really love it. When I started my memoir after I, I had a contract, I I could not do it. And finally, in big, all caps, like huge font, I was like, no one will read this but me. Exactly. exactly. Like sometimes you have to do these tricks, like to just just to get over the hump and just get to where you need to be emotionally or something. Exactly. Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. That I feel like I feel like what you what we did is so yeah. similar. Same, same, kind same of thing. thing. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Love that. Amazing. Angie, I could talk to you all day. Well, Me hopefully too. I'll talk to you again in some other context or something, and I'll see you in person. But thank you so much. What a great book, and I'm so impressed with with just all of it. So great to meet you. Thank you so much. I'm just thrilled to meet you. Yeah, like I know it's by Zoom, but I feel like we have such a great connection. I can't wait to meet you in person. That would be great. That would would be Love that. Okay. All right. More soon. Okay. All right. All right. Bye, Angie. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 